Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 19 of season three of Brody Sports Talk. My name is Sean Morgan. I am joined by Caleb Walgren and only Caleb Walgren. Uh, Derek is out this week. Uh, so we will we, we've got some of his um, we, we got the uh, over under for uh, for for this week. Right. We for all of our episodes for him. Yeah, absolutely. We did. OK. So, yeah, so he's still here kind of uh, in spirit and then with giving us his uh, over under win totals. And if this is the first episode that you're tuning in of our little it's kind of like a mini series, uh, we're doing our team previews for 2021 2022 season. Uh, this week we are in the worst division in the NFC. Right, Caleb? Worst division? I NFC? mean, I, I can't stand three of the teams in this division. So I guess that's technically fair. Right. That's absolutely fair. Um, it is the NFC North, and we are starting off of the week with the Chicago Bears. Uh, if Again, if you're first tuning into this, what we've done with these team previews is we've taken a bunch of different categories, uh, you know, various things, new player to watch, coach temperature check, award consideration, strength of the team, new players to watch. All sorts of cool stuff. We pick the four that we think best fit or um, potentially have the best uh, like discussion points and we talk about them. Uh, but before that, Caleb, did we have any additional news that we wanted to go ahead and talk about on this episode? Uh, absolutely, we do. Uh, I know we don't venture off into the realm of college athletics as much as Sometimes I think we would like, because we do like college athletics. Yeah, I mean, maybe not as much as we used to. Well, definitely so not it, as much as we the, used to. The podcast, yeah, has, has definitely shifted a bit. So I do think it's somewhat interesting. I know around this time last year, we were like Pac-12 United. And like, even had that as like a talking point where it was like the athletes want to play. And now we're talking about the schools wanting more money. Uh, the schools in question... I mean, it's all of them, but the schools specifically in this instance are the University of Oklahoma and the University of Texas, as they have pretty much within the last week decided or announced after it was leaked that they were ending their grant of rights with the Big 12 Conference and joining the Southeastern Conference. Now, Sean, I do want to give you some of the early points on this one. Southeastern Conference is your conference. It is with OU. I know that in general, when we uh, so this is going to be a throwback uh, reference that I have here. But when we did last year's episode of the college football road trip, you talked about Tennessee playing at Oklahoma and how exciting that game would be for you to go to. And so part of me is like, I think Sean would be really excited if Tennessee was, you know, playing Oklahoma or Texas, like every few years so that you could just get to the games faster. Like, Oh yeah. Uh, it's a lot closer drive to Austin, even than I think it is to Knoxville for, by sure, for sure. So yeah, no, it, it definitely <laughs> 100% is. I, so you know, are you, are you excited for them or are you yes, kind of just like, um, okay. Like 100%. I, I was talking um, with my girlfriend about this uh, actually yesterday and kind of because she saw an alert on her phone that was saw like mentioned OU Texas leaving for the SEC. And she's not exactly a sports person, but not exactly a sports person. She has like very little to no interest in sports. And but it, the alert came up on her phone. She was kind of asking me about it. And I kind of explained, 
you know, like the the impact that this would have and just, you know, shared a, a few tidbits. But I, I did mention like, you know, OU playing Tennessee for me was always one of those things that was cool in my head. And like I would have loved to see, but it never really manifests, never really happened. This was before they did the the home and home. Uh, and I just it was always a pipe dream because Tennessee, that's my hometown team. And then OU was kind of my um, family's adopted team by virtue of us living in Oklahoma for a while. So it has a, a big meaning. And so, yes, I am uh, I am very excited. One, it also will then get. Um, it'll at least get Missouri out of the SEC East, which was always a very strange thing. Uh, and I think the the realignment possibilities for some of the uh, programs shifting over, I think, uh, is kind of interesting. And I get it, right? Uh, I want your thoughts on this. So it, you mentioned that it's about money. It's always about money. This is college football. You know, everything, you know, either openly revolves around money or it revolves around money behind closed doors. So this has been stewing for it feels like ever. What are your takeaways on, you know, you OU in Texas, if you as a Nebraska fan, there's uh, there's a respect for OU. There's a strong dislike, I imagine, for Texas. So, so what does this mean to you? I I feel like this is the dismantling of the Big Twelve that I was expecting to happen when Nebraska announced they were leaving. Nebraska was the first team that said, "Okay, Big Twelve, you guys can't get your act together. We're going somewhere else," <laughs> and that somewhere else was the Big Ten because the Big Ten was making literally bukus of bucks more than the Big Twelve conference. I think that when we left the Big 12, we were making somewhere around 17 million a year, and we instantly were making like 40 million a year in the Big 10. And it was not even close to a surprise that we've been able to upgrade a ton of facilities and really do a whole lot of projects in the last few years. Even though if you look at Nebraska's on-field or on-court records, we haven't necessarily played better in the Big Ten than we did in the Big 12. So uh, it's tough. Uh, part of what I love about college sports is the pageantry and the tradition. I love that OU and Texas are going together because the Red River shootout, Red River rivalry, whatever you want to call it at the Cotton Bowl, is one of the best things that happens in college football. And if Texas and, let's say, Baylor were going to the SEC, there's a chance you would lose that. I know in state, a lot of fans are sad because Bedlam is probably going to go away. I I have a tough time knowing. I feel like Bedlam is something that has only really been an Oklahoma thing. I don't know. And maybe it's growing up here. I downplay it slightly, but I don't, I, I think the closest I would have to it as far as an out of state comparison is the, Civil War, it, or I don't think they can call it that anymore. Whatever they call the Oregon-Oregon State rivalry, <laughs> it definitely used to be called the Civil War. I'm not making I think that. it still is, but no. Unofficially. Uh, yeah, I mean, Bedlam, <laughs> to be fair, in the last, I don't know, uh, 20 years, maybe maybe more so like 10 years, but still a stretch over 20 years, Bedlam has had a national impact. It's almost always because of, hey, 
is this a game that knocks OU out of title contention? Like, I, whether it's Big 12 title contention or national title contention. Um, once it was, hey, is this, you know, is this game going to keep OSU in national relevance or knock them out? But to me, I think that there's still, you know, a possibility that this could be penciled and then scheduled um, and allow them to you know, possibly keep it. But realistically, it's not going to be a crazy big moneymaker. And quite honestly, uh, I think that the SEC and to me, this entire move, of course, it's about money. But this feels like a natural conclusion to the whole like super conference uh hullabaloo that blew up a while back you know people talked about this team going here or this program like or these programs going here at the core at the very center of everything was OU and Texas moving to the SEC everything else around it was you know kind of secondary so now that it's you know, actually happening, then we're going to see, you know, just what it's like to have a basically a super league within the college football, you know, atmosphere and how that's going to try like play out for, you know, OU in Texas and then for the existing teams in the SEC. I don't know. Uh, I think that we're going to see all for, you know, OU in Texas a lot of eight, nine win seasons that used to be 10 and 11 win seasons. Uh, They're going to deal with, you know, getting smacked by Mississippi state unexpectedly. Like you, you you just, you never really know what's going to, you know, what's going to happen with some of these sec matchups. And now the other thing too, is there's going to be so many, you know, teams in the conference that I wonder how they're going to handle, you know, how's Alabama going to schedule four cupcakes a year? Right. What's what's going to happen there? <laughs> well, it's just it's very interesting to see what's going to happen come 2025 with this whole, you know, shifting around and what the fallout is for the teams that are left behind. Where do they go? I mean, the Americans yeah. probably going to take some in. But so I, I do have to throw out there just because it's the SEC and it's a little bit of a joke at the SEC that I get to make. Uh, I saw someone projecting that they thought the SEC would go to 20 teams, and I said then they'd have to at least play nine conference games, so they're not going to do that uh, because you'd have it, like two divisions of 10 presumably at that point. Um, I mean, they could just they could just invite <laughs> in, you know, hey, we need to get to 20, so we're going to bring in some Sun Belt teams. <laughs> they're in the area. It's so, fine. Uh, you did mention, you know, basically there are eight other teams. I know it sounds like there should be more, but there are eight other teams left in the big 12. And it's kind of a question of, well, who finds partners where the ones I've heard, and I'm sure you've probably heard, but just to share West Virginia to the ACC feels like it's probably a lock. Um, Kansas and Iowa state to the big 10, which I'm not necessarily like, oh, yeah, get me excited about Kansas football. I get to play them every year now. I mean, it might help us get to a winning record faster, but I guess that's okay. Um, Oklahoma State and probably some contingent of Texas teams, maybe all three of them, to the Pac-12. 
to make a what I would call central with those four Colorado, Utah, and the Arizona schools uh, in a Pac-16. I, I feel like the team that really gets potentially shafted the most in this is K-State. I have no idea what's going to happen to K-State. Um, I don't think that they're a fit for the Big Ten. No. I really don't think they're a fit for the Pac-12. I, I really feel like they would be one of the ones that may end up in some American or oddly like a Mountain West, which doesn't... Manhattan, Kansas is definitely not a Mountain West town. Uh, no, not, not, not anywhere close. So I'm hopeful for uh, the power cats that are out there. And I, I would always make fun of them and call them the mild cats because I couldn't help myself. Um, but, you know, there's been some great players that went through K-State. I think of people like Jordy Nelson or Tyler Lockett that have really shown in the NFL. And I really just hope they find a place to land. Um, any other kind of thoughts about this? I know that it's, we could probably talk about this for the whole pod, but we do want to get to the Bears. Yeah, for, you know, sooner. Uh, Bears. Um, I just, I, I really want to see the the impact that this has on some of the other teams in the SEC that are historically top performing that aren't Alabama. I want to see what this how this impacts LSU. I want to see how this impacts Auburn because realistically, you know, you're going to then have OU in Texas in your division and you're going to end up with this situation where you don't have the same sort of I don't say bottom feeders because that's not re- the SEC has always been split into you have two or three teams in a division that are doing really well. And then you have two or three teams that just quite frankly can't keep up, but they're still considered better than average. So for me now, can, you know, these teams that aren't Alabama that aren't, you know, getting a thousand five stars every year, what happens with some of the coaching staff? Like how often are they going to have turnover? How, you know, tumultuous are their programs going to be and the football side anyway, with the introduction of OU in Texas. And like I said, same thing. Suddenly, you know, these nine, 10 win seasons become seven and eight win seasons. And quite frankly, that's not good enough at those schools who want to aim higher. But realistically, Auburn and LSU do not have the historical pedigree that OU and Texas have. And it's a different pool of recruits that they're that yeah. they're getting from. And so now LSU can't sell the same thing to Texas, you know, boys that they could before. Hey, you come play the you know in the SEC, complain the best conference. Well, hey, Texas can do that now too. I think this is a huge boost for Texas. Definitely. Uh, but yeah, let's let's go ahead and switch gears. This is the Chicago Bears episode after all. So the four categories that we have chosen, in addition for each of these episodes, we do the over-under win total uh, from expectation. Uh, again, what, where is it we pull these from? DraftKings. DraftKings, DraftKings. I'll remember that. At some point, I will remember that. DraftKings. Uh, so the categories we've chosen for the Bears, coach temperature check, position battle, contract to your player, and new player to watch. We're going to go ahead and kick things off with the coach temperature check. Uh, so Caleb, this is, to me anyway, been a, uh, a perpetual hot seat. I know we talked about it multiple times last season. 
So <laughs> still, I imagine just as hot. So, so walk me through your thoughts on this. Um, I think that this hot seat is arguably as red as Andy Dalton's hair. I, I definitely think that it is a proper fit for that. As far as, you know, when I double check the odds before the episode, currently Matt Nagy is the third in the odds for if he could get fired behind McCarthy and Vic Fangio. Now, McCarthy obviously came into a pressure filled situation with the Cowboys and Fangio is just not won games <laughs> with the Denver Broncos. Sorry, Derek. But are you Nagy, are you? Nagy's been in this like odd situation where he's made the playoffs most of the years he's been there. Uh, he inherited this Mitch Trubisky-led offense, which was not good, and was supposed to be this Reed disciple quarterback pupil. And so what did they do? They got rid of Mitch Trubisky, and they have – Andy Dalton and Justin Fields because that is – oh, and they still have uh, the greatest Super Bowl winning quarterback of the last five years, Nick Foles, on the roster. And I just – I struggle to see what is going to make this go – like I think they have to make playoffs and they might have to win a game. I don't think that he gets fired early in the year unless they have a um, – some like Bill O'Brien or Falcons-esque start to the year from last year where they really just crash and burn out the gate. Luckily for them, they do get the Bengals at home in week two, so they should at least get AW on the record. But if they lose that one, I mean, they have the Lions two weeks later. So I, I'm really struggling to see how like they don't at least, and unless they just win those games barely over like the Bengals and Lions and don't look competitive against the Rams and the Browns. I, I'm struggling to see if, if Nagy's quick out. I think it would definitely be more of an after-the-season candidate. Like, if they squeak into the playoffs at 9-8 and eight and lose that opening playoff game by, like, 30. Where, where think, do you kind of see Nagy on that, Sean? You know, it's it's tough, right? Because the, the position battle, I think, that um, I'm going to talk about here in a second, really plays, to me, a huge factor in how long Nagy is given in 2021 because it's tough we talked about this when we had all the midseason firings last season is it's kind of awkward to fire your your head coach in the middle of the season as an nfl organization because there's so much residual fallout from doing that you're basically saying hey you know what this season is lost and in order for us to try to recover anything from it we need to try to game plan how we're going to go into the next season and build from there, see what we've got. Well, the Chicago Bears have an above-average defense paired with a an offensive line they have tried to fix, and now a brand two brand new quarterbacks of varying you know histories and ceilings. So, does Nagy get an ex like? Uh, a little bit more time to see, hey, who's my quarterback and how can I win with them? Possibly. It's going to be one of those things where you look at how the Dolphins handled their quarterback situation. Similar circumstance 
our offensive line is a little bit better and the team overall is a little bit better, but they played great defensively. And then they had a veteran quarterback and a rookie that they didn't want to immediately throw and, you know, throw to the wolves in a division that generally is top heavy with good teams at that top. So for me, I think Nagy gets a full year. I think he gets a chance to gauge who his best, you know, who QB one is. And then whether or not he can win with that QB1, if it seems like he can't get it done, then the Bears are going to bring in somebody that they think can. But like you, I don't see them pulling the trigger in the middle of the season or even toward the end of the season. I do think the Bears fight for a playoff berth with the roster as it is now. Uh, Just to throw it out there as well to kind of conclude this. Ryan Pace hired Matt Nagy. It's his second hiring. He had John Fox for three years, lost him. He's now had Matt Nagy for a few years. I, I think if definitely if they go, Pace is going out, Nagy is going out with him. You're definitely going to start with a clean slate with the new GM, new head coach, new everything. And that, in my opinion, is why his seat is hot, because I think Pace is in an even worse position. Because he's not done a great job as the GM of the Bears. No, and I think he redeemed himself to a certain extent with this recent draft class, which was considered around NFL circles as a you know uh, top five level class. Uh, just a lot of really good moves and generally on paper good decisions. But let's talk about that. Let's talk about the position battle. Uh, so if you couldn't tell, my position battle is going to be Andy Dalton versus Justin Fields. I think it's, you know, as with any... NFL team that has the rookie coming in with the veteran ahead of him. It's not a matter of if, but when the rookie gets the nod. Andy Dalton is an experienced veteran with a lot of games under his belt. He's got playoff experience ish. Um, And, you know, he's been around the league and played with a bunch of different head coaches. So he's used to dealing with, you know, adapting to a new system and going through trying to succeed. He, there's a reason they call it the Dalton line. He is a, as good as you would want from a veteran, but you know exactly what you're getting. Never more, never anything less. It's just above average enough to, to tread water above 500. Now, the Bears have treaded water above 500 perpetually for pretty much the last 20 years. Just been uh, one swing after the other. I, I don't know if another team has gone eight and eight as much as them in comparison to like the Cowboys, maybe. So for me, it's how can Justin Fields win the starting job? And the way Justin Fields wins the starting job is just by simply letting Andy Dalton make mistakes and let the pressure build on him. I don't think Dalton is the. Uh, starting quarterback for more than half the season. Legitimately, I don't think he gets to the halfway point. I think he gets about five, six games in, and then Fields wins the starting job outright. It could even potentially be earlier because like we talked about with the coach temperature check, the pressure is on this front office and this coaching staff to take this draft class and turn it into something special and take advantage of the uncertainty that has surrounded the the Packers this offseason and the potential unrest and the fact that the Vikings still possibly haven't righted the ship 
and the Lions are the Detroit Lions. So there are a lot of opportunities here for the Bears to win a playoff spot decently easily. And this position battle is key. Uh, Caleb, who do you think, or this is it. First of all, does Justin Fields take the job from Andy Dalton? And when does that happen in your opinion? I definitely think that he will end up taking the job. It's a matter of when and not if. When I'm looking at the schedule, I'm, I'm curious. You know, we saw players come out almost ahead of what I would typically expect last year. And I'm going to say this. I think if the Bears are one and two after the first three weeks, Justin Fields starts the next home game against the Detroit Lions. Like, that's how much pressure is on them. You start one and two, presumably you lose to the Rams and the Browns because they're better teams than you, and you beat the Bengals. And let's face it, I don't expect Andy Dalton to go out and throw for like 400 yards against his former team. Like, unless he looks fant- unless he looks like Dak Prescott through three games last year, Andy Dalton's <laughs> going to be riding the pine sooner rather than later. Yeah, and it's, and a, it's, it's tough a rough- in general for me to find a spot when I go – oh, there's a gap in the schedule here where he could really come and put Fields in. Because after the bye, they're like hosting the Ravens. <laughs> nope, don't want to put Justin Fields in for that one. Like you, And then they have a short week to play on Thanksgiving. And then I'm like, why would we wait to start Justin Fields after Thanksgiving? At that point, your season is either so far close to the playoffs or so not close to the playoffs. So... I think Fields is going to get it sooner rather than later. Sorry, no, I, I cut think, you off a little bit. There. No, no, no. I was going to say that makes perfect sense. Because like I said, looking at the schedule, I mean, after the Browns, they play the Lions and the Raiders. If there are two defenses that you want to ease Justin Fields into the NFL against, those are probably two decent ones to do it against. Because after that, they play the Packers, they play the Bucks, they play the 49ers, they play the Steelers, they play the Ravens. That is a pretty brutal stretch of defenses to go against as a young quarterback, but if you're reasonably battle tested against some, you know, easier personnel, then, you know, maybe, maybe you'll be just a a bit more ready. Uh, So let's go ahead. Let's move on. The other two categories that we picked contract year player and new player to watch. So uh, Caleb, who is your contract year player that we need to keep an eye on in 2021? So my contract year player is a player who had some injuries in 2019 and didn't really have his strongest year in 2020. And that is the defensive lineman, Akeem Hicks. Akeem Hicks last year, you would have thought he would have had more sacks with the amount of quarterback hits he had. He ended up with 21 quarterback hits, which is actually a career high for him, but he only had three and a half sacks. Whereas in some of his earlier years with the bears defense, he was posting up closer to, seven or eight sacks. Hicks frequently, I mean, the Bears are running a 3-4. So he really needs to be able to put that pressure on the inside, on the guards, because we all know that everyone's going to want to try to chip or put extra pressure on Khalil Mack on his side. So Hicks has the opportunity to take advantage, but he's getting older, Uh, you know, When the season kicks off, he's going to be 31. He'll be 32 at the end of the season. And it's a question of, well, how much can you really pay a guy that's going to be 32 next fall when he starts? Because he is one of the higher-played players on the Bears. And I think 
if we talk about it the way that we are, if he shines out, even if, you know, Pace and Nagy end up getting moved on from, the Bears may still want to bring him back. and Or they may say, well, you know what, we're rebuilding younger and Hicks is going to have an opportunity somewhere else next season. But I do think that he's crucial to the defense success because they they've really thrived on the pass rush, not necessarily on outstanding secondary play. Trust me, they've played ha-ha Clinton Dix in the secondary in the past few years, and I know he's not very good. Uh, so I, I definitely think Hicks is someone to to keep an eye on. And he's a big dude. Uh, Pro Football Reference has him listed as 6'4", 352. So if that doesn't get people moving after your quarterback, <laughs> I don't know what does. No, I, I completely agree. And you did bring up a good point about should that front office and coaching staff go – you know, it is going to be one of those players that you evaluate because really the Bears have won when they've won. It's been on the back of strong defensive play, stable defensive play. And if Hicks really doesn't hit the same sort of, you know, ceiling that he did before and doesn't seem like he's capable of it. And I would say a second mediocre year coming back from injury would spell that he's 31. Generally speaking, as a defensive player um, in that position, you should still have another good couple of years, you know, of, of sound production left. So I would think that they would move on. But of course, if he does have a big year, then they may want to bring him back on a, like a two year deal, get some, you know, keep that stability, you know, on the defense, allow for whoever comes in in that coaching staff to stabilize, you know, the bleeding that has occurred under Nagy and then, you know, see if they can build on a, a young quarterback and a young offense if they do, you know, decide that that front office needs to go. Uh, so let's talk about a new player to watch. And I know we, we it's funny that we talked about, you know, the Big 12. We talked about, you know, Oklahoma. We mentioned Oklahoma State. So my new player to watch is Tevin Jenkins. He's uh, an offensive tackle that was drafted out of Oklahoma State. Uh, if you watched any Chicago Bears games last season, uh, you would say, you know what? Yeah, the quarterback play was awful, right? Trubisky was was bad. Foles was bad. Their offensive line was infinitely worse than any of their quarterback play. They might as well have been a turnstile. Uh, they had, you know, whoever was, you know, calling the shots, they had no time to make any throws, any reads whatsoever. So for me, I think Jenkins was a steal. Uh, the fact that he slipped into the second round was a bit of a surprise to a lot of people. Uh, so they did get a good player in a good spot. Um, now, they ended up, um, the the Bears ended up dropping uh, Charles Leno. He was um, like a six-year veteran for them on the left side to bring in Tevin Jenkins. By the way, Tevin Jenkins played uh, on the right side for the uh, Oklahoma State Cowboys. So it's going to be interesting to see how he adapts. A lot of early things coming out of training camp is that he's doing fantastic and that the sky's the limit for this kid. I do have to say, if you look up a picture of Tevin Jenkins, he does not look like a football player. He looks like somebody that I would like have played, I don't know, League of Legends with a couple of years back. He He has a baby face. Um, like he just looks kind of nerdy and I dig it. Right. It's, it's always cool to see, you know, it, especially in the NFL, a lot of the guys you see playing offensive line, big brutish looking guys, this dude looks like he would, you know, go to the comic book store with you. 
So I'm a big fan. I'm going to, you know, be rooting for him to have a good season. I know Caleb probably hoping that, you know, he can have a good season, but as long as it's not that good, I'm okay. So I think that's a, a definite player to, uh, to keep an eye on, see how he does, especially with the, you know, position battle that we talked about. Who is it that's going to be protecting, uh, you know, who is it he's going to be protecting? So uh, any other player that jumped out at you or do you have anything on uh, Tevin Jenkins that you wanted to add? No, I, I want to add that the way you were describing him, it kind of reminded me of like, obviously he's an offensive lineman. So like a bigger version of like a Rodrigo Blinkenship. Like, I don't know if it's it's just NFL players that have glasses in their pictures. It's not something that we're typically used to. Like we were, it's not the NBA where you get like the goggle people where, <laughs> where they play games with goggles or masks over their nose because they have helmets. So they're usually fine. Uh, so seeing people wear glasses, I mean, let's face it. People who wear glasses are more handsome and more likely to succeed than, you know, people who don't wear glasses. Uh, I might be slightly biased about this conversation point, but what? I, <laughs> Not bias at all, per Sean. Not at all. <laughs> not not at all. Um, well, I think that is that is it for us here. Oh, no, no, no. What am I talking about? We got to do the over-under. I almost jumped the gun. Uh, so uh, you said it was DraftKings, right? We got yeah. yeah, DraftKings has the over-under for the Chicago Bears at seven and a half wins. Um, I'm actually going to give them the over. I think that, again, they are going to be competing for a playoff spot. And I think it is certainly reasonable that, you know, with the additional game, that seven and a half might be a smidge too low. I don't think it's going to be massively over. I do feel like saying that they hit double digit wins is a bit of a stretch, bit of a sizable stretch. Um, but eight wins, nine wins feels like um feels right so i i think it's going to be very very close they're definitely not the worst team in the division so uh, i i think they get to at least eight wins uh caleb what about you uh so just to clarify are you saying that they are making a playoff spot or missing a playoff spot at however many wins so i think that the nfc in general it's a little easier to squeeze into the playoffs they tend to cannibalize each other a bit more at the middle tier of teams whereas the afc generally has your upper echelon and they kind of remain the upper echelon so i think that they um i think they can potentially squeeze in at nine and eight if we have a lot of teams drop off so I think if nine and eight gets them the playoffs, they get in the playoffs. If it doesn't, then obviously they're going to miss out. I think they get to nine wins. Okay. Well, I'm marking you down as a yes for the playoffs. So if for some reason we end up with eight yeses for Sean, I will come back and mark Sean as a no for the Bears making playoffs. <laughs> Thank uh, you. Uh, so I went ahead and went over as well, but I'm going to say that they missed the playoffs. I think eight and nine feels about right i feel like in general they puzzle me so much as a front office because they really are trying to nail this quarterback position so hard and they keep missing hey let's get mitchell trubisky hey let's trade for nick Foles and his expensive contract 
oh, let's cut Trubisky and not give him his fifth-year option. Let's go ahead and sign Andy Dalton and call him QB1 and make this huge deal about it. Uh, let's go ahead and draft Justin Fields, <laughs> you know, in the first round. What, what are you doing, Chicago? Like, can you make up your mind? Everything. And, like, I think that I would like and appreciate the Justin Fields pick more if they would have just picked him and said, we're going to do Fields and not brought in Dalton. You already have Nick Foles there as a backup. It's not like you need Andy Dalton there. So they puzzle me. I'm going to put them at eight and nine uh, on the outside looking into the playoffs. And uh, let me double check Derek's notes here. Uh, He also has them going over the seven and a half wins that they are projected for and says that they will not make the playoffs. So we have one maybe playoff berth from Sean, but we all have them over seven and a half wins. I think that's, I think it's a reasonable take. Like you, you can't really look at this bears team and feel confident. You just can't. So, but, but you know that somehow for some inexplicable reason, each and every year they go on a slight run where they surprise a couple of teams and then you're like, oh, my God, are, are the Bears good? And then you watch them, you're like, no, they can't be good. They can't be. They're not good. But then they win inexplicably. You're like, oh, my God, they're actually a good team. And the Bears end up who you exactly what you thought they were. And then they fall back into the same mediocrity that we've come to expect out of an average Chicago Bears season. Uh, so that's it for us on our Chicago Bears preview. Uh, if you would like to check us out on social media, we have not just links to uh, all the different platforms uh, that we host our podcast on. We also have a link to our Twitter account, um, all on our link tree, uh, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Brody Talk. Uh, definitely check us out on Twitter. Caleb is more than happy to engage with you. He's the one who maintains our Twitter account. Uh, so if you want to, if you're a bears fan, if you want to talk about this episode, please, uh, drop us a line on Twitter let us know if you agree, disagree, or if there was maybe a player or a position battle, uh, that we might have missed. Uh, and we will, uh, be back, uh, tomorrow with the Detroit lions preview. Uh, we are out later. Bye.